Wagwan, everybody. Welcome to the Dis Afimi History Podcast, where we'll be speaking about history and as well family history and how history relates in terms of Caribbean people um, for the present as well as in the past and how in the past what that does and brings forth for what we are going through at present and what we can learn from our history, from our family, and take that moving forward. So I do hope you enjoy the podcast. And if you like it, please ensure to subscribe, like, and review. Thank you. So I just wanted to thank you so much, Lauren, from for coming on to the podcast today to speak about sickle cell anemia as it is a condition that does run in uh, my family, and as well, at least to be able to discuss what that is, what it means. And um, if I'll do, right now, I'll just give you a few moments if you wanted to just to briefly introduce yourself. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Uh, my name is Lana Ray Tsunji Ajayi. I'm the CEO for the Sickle Cell Awareness Group of Ontario. I am also the CEO for the Global Action Network for Sickle Cell and Other Inherited Blood Disorders. So thank you for having me. No, thank you so much for coming on to discuss about, as you said, it's an inherited blood disorder. And we'll start off with, you could just provide just a brief overview of sickle cell anemia and how it differs from other types of anemia. Yes, thank you so much. So sickle cell anemia, or what we are so called sickle cell disease, is our genetic, you know, um, red blood cell disorder. So it affects the red blood cells. It is the most common monogenetic disorder in the whole world. It, disaspor- it disproportionately affects people um, who identify with African ancestry, yes. but it also affects people from South Asia, uh, Mediterranean, Middle East, Caribbean, and so on and so forth. Um, you find that with sickle cell disease, um, about 300,000 babies or more are born every year globally. And that is far more than any other genetic disorders, any other anemia. And this is one of the reasons why the World Health Organization has decimated sickle cell as a public um, um, health uh, burden mm-hmm. and have encouraged governments and countries to really do work, raise awareness and, so, and provide programs and services to support citizens in this country with this disease. It's also very interesting to note that um, of about the 300,000 babies born with this hemoglobinopathy, and uh, 150,000 of them live in one single country, Nigeria, in Africa. And so, um, and I tell you, even in Canada here, a lot of people, um, you know, uh, that are at risk Yes. Or having children with sickle cell disease uh, do not even have a clue if they carry the trait. Yeah. 
for sickle cell disease. So I know as we go forward, we will talk more about sickle cell traits as well. Mm-hmm. But in a nutshell, sickle cell disease is a lifelong multi-organ disorder. So it affects every part of the body, yeah. the eye, the, the, you know, it will affect, you know, people will be, part of the complications could be blindness. Yes. Being deaf. Um, it affects every organ, the heart, the kidney, the liver, uh, name it, every part of the body. And you find that, um, you know, some of patients with sickle cell disease, we also require, um, you know, organ transplantation because the organs have been damaged. So basically, and why is this so? It's simply because um, the shape for uh, sickle cell um, is sickled, just as the word says sickle. It is sickled. It is not round. You can see in this picture here, uh, red blood cells are supposed to be round and donut shaped. But for sickle cell, it's like the farm uh, equipment sickle. And because it's sickle, he does not let um, oxygen, you know, doesn't, he does not have enough oxygen and it gets stuck, right? Trying to um, go through for the blood to go through the arteries and so on. And so this is part of the reasons why people will have different complications because the shape of the blood and the blood does not have enough oxygen. And so when you're saying that it's when it sickles, it clumps together. So again, for that to be able to move throughout the body, again, is very hard as, as well, as, right? As it's supposed to do. It's not yeah. able to do that effectively, unfortunately. No. Yeah. Thank you for that. And so going on to the hereditary condition, can you just walk us through in terms of what that uh, would look like as to how it is inherited from each parent? Yes, thank you very much. So, again, sickle cell disease is a genetic blood disorder, which means that you have to inherit um, the gene from your parents. Now, everyone, if you look at the infographic on this page, everyone has two copies of hemoglobin gene. Mm-hmm. Some of us will have normal, two copies of the normal hemoglobin genes, which then we will call them as A and A. So the two copies are A and A, and some might have two copies of sickle hemoglobin gene. We call them the S and the S, S standing for sickle. And sometimes, and I think where we do have, so just to take a step back. Okay. Sickle cell disease, we can say, is a way of modern nature trying to protect itself against malaria. So where you will find sickle cell you find them in malaria endemic regions of the world traditionally. And then so you find that because the, um, you know, the gene kind of mutate, um, and then you have people that have one copy of the gene like this guy, this lady here. So they have one normal hemoglobin A, one sickle hemoglobin S, and same thing with the lady. These individuals, even when they live in malaria endemic regions, mm-hmm. They would hardly get malaria because that's mm-hmm. what nature has done for them. But then when they, when someone with the two normal hemoglobin or two sickle hemoglobin live in malaria endemic region, they will get malaria. So it's only one copy that actually protects you. Mm-hmm. Now, when 
Um, so somebody that has one copy of normal hemoglobin and one sickle hemoglobin would say typically that they carry the trait, the sickle cell trait yeah. or the sickle cell gene. Now, there is no symptom. It's asymptomatic for most people. That in very rare cases, though, we've, we've seen a few individuals with sickle cell trait that actually leave life as if they have the disease. The, the, mm -hmm. the amount of the sickles is just very high in their body okay. that they actually go through pain and all those complications as well. Uh, but most parts, if you just have the trait, you live a fairly normal life and you don't even, you might not even know even until you die that you carry yeah. that trait. Now, the problem now arises though when these individuals with trait, one copy of the trait, um, if they decide to have a baby, or if somebody with one copy of the trait decides to have a baby with someone with a sickle cell, with, a, with you know, with the, with both genes being sickled, mm -hmm. uh, because a child has to pick a copy of a gene from each parent, so let's use the example of dad as a trait, mom as a trait. That's right. And they, they went to have their first baby. This baby then picked the sicker trait from dad and the sicker trait from mom and came out as a child with sickle cell disease. Yeah. So because it got the S gene from each parent. Now, mommy and daddy went back again to have another baby, another pregnancy. And this baby decided to pick one normal immigrant from daddy, let's say, and one sickle immigrant from mommy, he also is a carrier. And then they went back again, daddy and mommy, and they uh, got pregnant again, and this baby has normal hemoglobin. She got a normal A from daddy, the normal A from mommy, and they can go back again, and the fourth baby can have a trait again. Or it can also be that even though they are both carriers and they have the sickle and the normal gene, that all of their babies could actually be picking the S and the S, the S and the S, the yes. S, or they can be picking the A and the A, or the A and the S. It's a, you know, it's a toss of the yes. coin. You cannot control it because it's just nature and they just pick what they pick, right? Even though now we know that um, with technology, advanced technology, you can check in pregnancy now if your baby will have sickle cell disease. Oh, um, you can, okay. You, you could do that now. They could do those tests for you if baby will have sickle cell trait. So it's very important, as we say, for people to find out I always say know your family tree when it comes to sickle cell. People need to find out. They need to know um, if they have sickle cell traits. Most likely, if someone has sickle cell disease, they would already know because they will be having symptoms and so on and so forth most of the time. Uh, but if you have just the trait, um, you might not know. Uh, and you need to get tested to know mm -hmm. that. Now, in Canada here, uh, many provinces are screening babies for sickle cell disease, including Ontario. It was approved through our advocacy work in 2006. So every baby born in this province within the screen for sickle cell disease. They are also screened for sickle cell trait 
but they just don't provide this. The newborn screen and stereo does not provide the sickle cell trait information um, uh, voluntarily. Okay. They take parents to request for that. Right now, parents are not requesting because they don't even know they have to request for that. Yes. So, because I mean, I use myself as an example. So I go into the hospital. I have a baby. My baby is healthy. You told me everything is fine. Am I going to really pause and say, oh, by the way, does my baby have to go that trace? Yeah. That's not going to happen. So how much do we even know in this community about the consult trace to be asking that question? Exactly. So I believe anyone's going to Ontario is now getting a lot of people asking that question. And one of the work that we are currently doing is getting the Ministry of Health and Newborn Screening Ontario to start to tell families about their child's sickle cell trait status. Because it's very important for education purposes. Yes. And for them to make their own procreation decisions as they're getting older. Uh, because they need to know what they are made of. What, who am I? Exactly. It's their information. And if you're pricking the baby's ill and taking the baby's blood, why are you not giving the family the information, you know, yes. they deserve to have from that pricked ill wherever you collected their child's blood? Exactly. Exactly. No, thank you so much for that. I really do appreciate that you were able to break it down to show what are the, I guess you could say the combinations that, um, could potentially happen with each pregnancy in terms of with that um, sickle cell trait being passed down uh, from parent to child. So I know that, um, you know, the next question is, I know that you had spoken about uh, in terms of with sickle cell itself, um, would you be able to at least to describe, I guess, some of the symptoms that people can have or what can be expressed? Definitely, um, sickle cell disease, um, like I said, is a multi-organ disorder. Uh, it comes with a lifelong complication, and you can see in this picture that is with sickle blood that are not well shipped, and then you can find around shipped blood. And because of this, you find that um, the... Um, People that have sickle cell disease will go through a lot of different complications. Um, they will have um, uh, what we call damage to vital organs of the body. They, they circle the what we call the uh, pain episodes. Mm -hmm. And pain is the all mark of sickle cell disease. Pain is the all mark of sickle cell disease. And is the most felt right, of all complications, but it's not the only thing. Because remember we talk about, um, again, the blood is not flowing as it feels. Yes. There's, there's blockage, it's stuck, and the sickle blood breaks down faster than normal blood. Uh, a normal blood will be about 120 days, and a sickle, for somebody who has sickle cell disease, maybe about 20 days. So it breaks down faster. All of this causes different complications that block the flow of blood in the blood vessels. And we call that visual occlusive crisis when people are experiencing that, right? But like I, like I said, the most health hallmark of this disease is the painful crisis 
um, and it affects the bones, the joints. And, you know, I have asked the question, people, surely women who have gone through typhus and have sickle disease, which is worse? I asked her children, I don't know who that was painful. Yeah. Uh, and would you compare sickle cell pain to having a baby? And every single one said they would take having a baby any day over the sickle cell pain. It's just undescribable. Yeah. It is excruciating. It is deep bone. And you can't even get to the bone to scratch away the pain. It's unbelievable. And yeah. so it's been compared to terminal cancer pain. There is also another complication that male um, do have. It's called the preatism, um, which is a complication to the male organ, okay. male sexual organ, whereby they would have unwanted erection that could last for days or weeks and it's very painful. Um, it was on, it would be an unwanted erection, of course. And yeah. This also because of the complete, it's a, it's a complication because of the lack of flow of blood to all the vessels of the body. Um, we've seen patients that went blind, deaf. I have a, a, one of our members who is uh, completely deaf in one ear and moderately deaf in the other ear. Um, and it's all complications of the cells. It causes damage to the heart, the lungs, yeah. like kidney, liver, like stroke, like, and for children, we talk about stroke, we talk about silent stroke. Um, so this is why we also do education in the schools, because um, children could suffer silent stroke, and when they are suffering silent stroke, you might not see even uh, uh, a symptom uh, on time. It might just be as simple as a child who's maybe a 95 average, started to get 65. And the teacher and the parents might say, oh, you're playing, you are not uh, focusing, but that's not true. They're actually going through silence. So it's a lot of different complications. And so this is why it's very important, even in the school system, for the educators to be aware of sickle cell when there's a child with sickle cell in their classroom. They need to know what they need to do to ensure that this child does not um, have what even we call school environment induced crisis. Yes. Because with sickle cell disease, having the wrong temperature, even on you, if it's too hot or too cold, can trigger a crisis, a pain crisis. Um, and, you know, in some schools, there are the cubicle classrooms. We don't encourage students to be in cubicle classrooms because that is not going to be helpful. It could trigger crisis, and that will be school environment induced crisis. Many, many, many people with sickle cell disease will also end up blowing um, hip replacement and so on and so forth in their lifetime. Um, I know of a young man um, died last year, uh, but before he died, uh, went through hip replacement three times before the age of 25. Um, it's unbelievable what this disease can do. It's a brutal excruciating disorder and one that predominantly, like I said earlier, affects people of, of African ancestry. Yes. And so in many parts of the world, especially in the high resource countries, 
um, you know, they consider Sukhothel as a black issue, minority issue, but I beg to differ. Mm-hmm. If it affects people that live in a country, then it is that country's disease and a problem, and one that they need to do things on, advocate on, and help to improve the health outcome of their citizens who have this disease. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. And I know that you did speak to the to this in regards to with sickle cell anemia globally as to the specific regions or populations that are impacted with higher incidence. Can you go a little bit more into, just to speak on to the specifics? Yes, so um, regions of sub-Sahara Africa carry the highest volume of sickle cell disease with Nigeria alone as a country, uh, you know, have millions with sickle cell disease in that country and about 150,000 babies are born every year for just that one country. Um, closely following the sub-Sahara Africa uh, would be um, India, like from South Asia. Yes. They have about 1.8 million people as of 2018 um, living with sickle cell disease. And then you also have like in Brazil, for instance, about 70,000 people living with sickle cell disease. So this disease is not just a black disease or exactly. disease. It's a global disease. And one that the global community um, needs to do more work on. The United Nations has recognized the cell disease as a global health priority. Mm-hmm. And they are actually, you know, doing some work now in um, in cell disease, especially in low-resource countries. But I believe that more needs to be done um, globally and also in countries. And to come back to our country, Canada here, uh, some of the work that we have done to raise awareness is we have worked to get at uh, the parliament in Ottawa for them to recognize June 19, which was a day that was designated by World Health Organization as a day to raise awareness for sickle cell. We got Ottawa to enact the day as law, and the day received rare access um, in 2018. Um, in Ontario here, Ontario has the largest number of people with sickle cell in Canada. Okay. Uh, uh, I would say uh, nationally, about 6,500 or more people have sickle cell disease in Ontario alone as close to 4,000 of that population live in our province. And so we have to do a lot more work than any other province uh, when it comes to sickle cell. So we also got the day enacted to raise awareness of this disease among the members of provincial parliament yeah. so they can better understand, you know, what our community uh, sickle cell community, uh, her, what we're dealing with, right? And the day got uh, enacted in 2021 and is official, uh, you know, as sickle cell awareness day in Ontario. Um, Which is great. Which is great. Yes, thank you. And that's the reason awareness. And so we're also working with our Ministry of Health and we are, and it's, a, it, it's great that the ministry is working with organizations as Tegel to really see how do we improve the quality of life of people with sickle cell disease. Quality standards for sickle cell disease has been developed. The only problem with that though is that the standards are developed. How do you get a clinician to use them and to be accountable for the quality of care that they provide? And that is part of the conversation we continue yeah. to have with Ontario Health 
to ensure that um, we just don't have this, we just do not, we just don't have the guidelines, but the clinicians are using this guideline to ensure that when our patients show up in the hospital, they are given the right care. I told you the crime is like that. When a sickle cell patient goes into an hospital beach in Ontario or in New Brunswick or in Dakota, uh, wherever in the country, there are some clinicians that are well-versed in sickle cell and know exactly what to do. They follow the other things, they follow the guidelines, and they treat the patients. And some even have individual care plans provided to the sickle cell patients because you can't put everybody in the same basket. That's right. However, we have some consensus that doesn't have interest and who will be subjective in the care that they are providing to patients so they can look at a patient that walks into emergency that says, I'm in excruciating pain. Yes. And they said, well, I don't think they're in pain. I think they're just seeking opioids. They're just mm -hmm. seeking. And so it depends on who you meet. And this is where we're saying accountability. Is a yes. Thing. They have to be accountable for the quality of care that they do provide. And so, no. sorry, yes, go no, ahead. Go, no, I just want to say that was, you know, that's that's definitely key because, you know, what you mentioned in terms of that scenario of somebody coming into the ER of excruciating pain and they're not being believed and thinking that it's for something else when it's not. Yes, definitely. It's, uh, it's very important to... Keep up this work, uh, not only in Ontario. I mean, we are, we are achieving great strides in Ontario. We just uh, recently got the ministry to fund, uh, provide um, through a proposal that the organization put together. We were able to get the ministry to provide funding for all seven centers in the province to truly bring these centers to become comprehensive in nature and provide adequate care for a patient. Um, so, and, uh, right now we are working to get more sites, um, sorry, to get the ministry to establish more clinics for the yes. across the province. So our patients can get care close to home and the care could be quality care. Exactly. So are you saying right now, like in the province of Ontario here in Canada, there's only certain centers that are available in terms of there the are treatment? Seven centers. There are seven, seven major specialized centers, but we are asking for to have three more, for the government to have three more. Yes. So for instance, there is no center in Windsor. People that live in Windsor, we have to travel to London. And what her families do sometimes is yes. just cross to Detroit because it's five minutes <laughs> to them. They don't have to drive 20 hours to London. So we are asking for a site in Windsor. Mm -hmm. We're asking for a site in Thunder Bay. You don't have to fly from Thunder Bay because yes. you have to sell. Mm -hmm. And we're asking also for a site at Credit Valley because that area can also use yes. phone. So to make it time, and then that at least will improve and will help ensure that families are able to receive care close to home. Yes, absolutely. That would make a huge difference, especially what you just mentioned about Windsor and they have to go across the border to the United States, to Detroit yeah. for treatment. Um, wow. So, and then I guess this leads into the next question in terms of not only to the patient's, um, you know, the individual's quality of life, but the, again, the challenges, and this would, would definitely be one of the challenges that families face in, in order to help to manage the condition, right? And this is why I would say this to me that 
having a child with sickle cell disease is so expensive yeah. in terms of the time, the resources, and your even your mental health, your emotions. For you to say, I didn't know I carried a trait. I guess I just tried out of ignorance. Um, you shouldn't have a child with sickle cell disease out of ignorance. It will yeah. take a toll on yourself, on the child itself. And I've seen and heard children asking their parents, why did you do it? Because they're the one that's suffering. We give, we give back to them. Yeah. But they're the one that's suffering. They're the one that have to go through pain all the time and have to have their organs damaged. And, so, and then they wake up one day in excruciating pain and they say, Mommy, did you know that you will have a child with sickle cell if you have to child with daddy? Why, why did you do it? And to say, I didn't know, it's also equally disheartening because it was out of ignorance, right? So this is why I would say, number one, to get tested for sickle cell trait, if you carry the trait in this province and many provinces in this country, is free with your OLIP card. Yes. That's the first thing. Get tested, even if you're a grandmother, get tested. And if you carry the trait, you might not have a child or grandchild with sickle cell disease yet, but if the trait is in the family, that is a good opportunity to keep on saying to grandchildren and children's children, get tested before you start having your own children because the gene is there. Yeah. And because your children doesn't have sickle cell disease doesn't mean they don't have the trait. And if they also marry people with a trait, then their grandchildren, your grandchildren will have the disease. And that's what it is. So we all have to be educated. That's number one. Number two, um, yes, many physical services is not easy. It might require a lot of time of school for the students and time of work for parents. Some parents have to just sit at home, uh, be at home parents because it's just a lot. And employer can only also give you, um, you know, time off, time off, time off for so long because they also want productivity at work. So it's a lot. And yeah. to me, sickle cell disease is a disability for many, not for all, but for most. Um, and it has to be recognized also as a disability in that context, even with the government with Ontario Disability Tax Credit and all of those things as well. Um, but currently, for most people, the questions that come with the Ontario Disability Tax Credit and all of that, they will not qualify. Uh, because sickle cell disease is so different, even though yes. it's a disability. Uh, that's one. Now, management. Part of what we do to ensure that we reduce unnecessary and preventable complications. I myself lost my brother to preventable sickle cell complications, and that's why I got into this space to help ensure that we do not have, uh, where we do not continue to lose our young people to yes. preventable complications of sickle cell disease. Um, and I, um, I, 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 and, and so as such, the organization established what we call a disease management program, Learning for Life, whereby we provide education on different sickle cell related topics and so on for families to better understand this disease and know how to prevent complications that they don't need to have. Um, and we also have a healthcare, a healthcare provider e-course as well um, that we launched um, this year, was launched this year. Uh, prior to this year, um, and thanks for, I mean, while COVID had a lot of 
bad uh, rap, and we don't want COVID. We never mm-hmm. it would be best not to have COVID, but it also provided new ways of doing things. Uh, yes. One of them is before we would do things like lunch and learn in selected hospitals, and we can only go to one hospital maybe every three months. Um, but with the COVID, we learned we have to move virtually to do stuff. And so we started to offer the e-course, which then clinicians from different hospitals can plug in at their own time, in their own space, and complete this course, right? And that will help to, them to better understand sickle cell disease and then provide a better care for their patients living with disease. So that also is um, some of the programs that we're doing to help manage Okay. Uh, as parents with managing, because if healthcare providers don't understand the disease, they will not give your children or your young adults or yourself the right care at the right time. So it's very mm-hmm. important that they are well conversant with sickle cell disease. Now, in terms of available treatment, um, the one, what I call lifesaver and I call a miracle drug, yes. hydroxyurea. Hydroxyurea is uh, that drug was actually meant for um, cancer. It was a cancer drug. Yeah. And what it did for cancer was to change the shape of the blood for some specific blood cancer. Okay. And so some smart genius said, let's try with sickle cell. Mm-hmm. Bingo. The words are then changing. So what he did then is to change the shape of the sickle blood to a more round shape. And by doing that, it reduces the thickness of the blood. It can flow better. And what that does, it reduces the complication. It reduces the pain crisis. Yeah. It gives you a better quality of life. And what the pattern hydroxyurea with um, is fetolemoglobin. So every one of us, we are born with fetolemoglobin, but as we get older, um, maybe by one year of age, we lose some, most of our fetolemoglobin, but a little bit left in our body. Mm-hmm. But there are some special people that still retain a very high fetolemoglobin, even as adults. And for those that have sickle cell disease, is a blessing. Because by their retaining this high hemoglobin, which is not sickle blood, mm-hmm. it's a baby blood that is not sickled, they then compensate and they can function with this blood. And I know one person that has an extremely high hemoglobin like that, who has not, at 42 years of age, never been on one single admission for sickle cell, never had a pain crisis, never had to go to any hospital for anything. So this is what idoxuria is pattern of um, fetolemoglobin, baby hemoglobin, and to increase that. And so that changes the, the, the shape of the sickle blood, and that allows people to have improved uh, health outcomes. That's one. Um, there's also bone marrow transplantation, yes. which well, is what is great. I mean, that is the you have to find a match, mm-hmm. and that could be a barrier finding a match, and then also 
Um, they have to also check to make sure that the individual is a good candidate for this procedure. But if in, in, an individual is, it's amazing because then you'll be cured of sickle cell disease. Right? You provide a cure. And the most innovative, still in the pipeline, researchers are working on is the gene editing CRISPR therapy. Okay. That is when they just take your own gene. You don't need to worry about a match. Mm -hmm. you take your own your own gene out of your body. They fix that gene, and they reintroduce it back into your body. Amazing. Yeah. When that is available widely for families and people to do, I know it will be expensive, but he will be the ultimate game changer. Because there will be issues around if you're rejecting the transfusion and all of you know, um, you know, uh, you know, and all of that. There won't be issue of not finding the right match and all of those things. You know, um, the donor host graft, you know, rejection will not be there. All of those things because it's your gene from your body that is being worked on and reintroduced. So these are the treatment options available for time. Also, yes, there's blood confusion. Some of our families, um, they might not be good candidates for even adoxuria. They might not find a match yet for bumeral transportation. They might be blood transfusion hephrasis program that they will need to do. And their doctor hematologist will give them the um, frequency at which that they need to come for these transfusion programs. And so, yeah, so there are different uh, options uh, in ensuring that our families are able to live, you know, um, healthy lives. No, that's good to know that those are those are the major uh, treatments at this time for um, sickle cell anemia, and um, not just um, that it's a narcotic-based um, or opioid-based uh, treatment um, no. initiative. So, you know, just in closing here with, you know, your organization, what are the ongoing efforts and initiatives that you are, you know, your group is doing in terms of a, raising the awareness about sickle cell anemia and further advocating for individuals uh, impacted by this disease? So one of the most important work that we do is advocacy. We advocate, and like I alluded to earlier, we continue to advocate with the ministry to get resources and programs in place for yes. people with sickle cell disease. We're actually going to be um, launching a pilot program with London Health Sciences, whereby um, we will be having uh, a patient wellbeing coordinator uh, support patients while they are on admission in the hospital, so they mm -hmm. take care at the right time in the hospital. And then this role, we also follow them after they are discharged and provide them with support in the community, even with job searching and all of those things, right? So yes, um, that's part of what we do. We also advocate for them with workplaces because sometimes they experience stigma and discrimination based yeah. uh, on their disease and also with schools, right? We provide counseling services for our patients. Um, as you know, um, there's a huge mental health component with the disease. It can yes. cost 
Python and all of that. Um, we also provide, um, like I said earlier, those educational programs, preventative care um, for sickle cell disease. We embark on research. We did in 2021 our research to identify um, hospitals in Ontario that are providing suboptimal care for sickle cell disease. And that led us to be able to work with more hospitals in Ontario to improve the quality of care that they are providing. We just received a funding of 194000 from the Public Health Agency of Canada to conduct a study on vaccine equity in sickle cell disease. So we are very heavy into research. Mm -hmm. We also believe in saving secure blood supply. We are always looking for um, we are always looking for um, people to become, you know, like blood uh, champions and support, uh, um, you know, blood um, donor drives that we do. Um, for instance, I'll tell you that um, number one, um, let's go to be her blood partner. Um, like I said, some of the patients, their treatment option is uh, blood transfusion. Mm -hmm. So we have partnered with Canadian Blood Services okay. to get uh, people to donate. But what we ask first is to first of all join our team, right? So this year we're only looking for 20 people to give blood, that's all. Um, if we get more, that's great, but we're looking for a minimum of 20 people to give blood in 2023. All the people need to do is to go on blood.ca of the Give Blood app, look mm -hmm. for menu item partner, join a team. You can put the name of our organization, Sickle Cell, okay. our group of Ontario in there. It will bring us out. Or you can put our partner ID, which is the 6327620. It will break us out and you can register with us. Once you finish this and you are under our team, then you can then go back then and book your first donation if you've not done before. Okay. If, you, if you've done before, then all your blood donation efforts will then be under our team and we can achieve our goal. We need blood. It's so important because I'm going to tell you why it's important. And blood is not blood. You know, we always say, if you cut me, don't I bleed? And blood mm -hmm. is blood. But for sickle cell disease, it's not it's not so. And this is because um, there is kind of typical um, uh, um, uh, relations that we have to be mindful of. So we all have antibodies. And people with sickle cell disease have to get blood from their community. Otherwise, they will keep on developing more antibodies that they do not need to develop. And that would then narrow um, the, the, where they can get blood and who they can get blood from. Yes. But if they get blood from their own community, it's less likely to develop antibodies to those blood, and that will help them to be able to continue to get blood. Um, and so, yeah, so then the blood has to be phenotypically matched, so phenotype blood. Mm -hmm. So that is closely matched yes. to your DNA and so on, not just the O positive, O negative, B, A, A. We're not looking at that alone. We're looking at the phenotype matching of the blood. And so the more we get people from black community, for instance, given blood, the more black community will be able to have the right blood. 
um, you know, yeah. you know, for those that have sickle cell, people from Indian communities, they give blood, then they will have the right blood for them. People from, you know, Mediterranean and those also. But for us, we, we truly want, you know, our community to really be able to, you know, um, receive the right blood. Mm-hmm. at the right time right so. yes absolutely that's great that that the canadian blood services has that and this is national right it's just not for this particular province it is national perfect yeah i'll thank put the you. link in the show notes as well so people can uh yes please thank you thank you so much so and was there any final thoughts or you know uh, action calls. I know you put a lot in there as to what you guys are doing, but is there anything else that you wanted to finally leave uh, the listeners or the viewers with um, in regards uh, to sickle cell? Thank you. Well, what I would like to say is that, I mean, without funding, we can't do work that we're doing. Um, it's very important for us as an organization to continue to raise funds. Um, and so one of the things that we're doing is, uh, will be the, uh, we're having our annual walk uh, marathon if people want to join us i'm going to just go on that page quickly if people want to join a marathon they are welcome to we are having one in toronto we are having one in uh hamilton uh, i'm sorry my computer is a little bit slow but we're having one in hamilton as well and people can join to raise funds and support um you know the the marathon that we are doing. The Toronto Marathon is on October 15th, and the steps to register is there on our website, and the Hamilton Marathon is on November 4th. So that is how I would leave. And Perfect. for people who want to also learn more about sickle cell disease, we are having our uh, annual summit for sickle cell disease on November 3rd and 4th. So if uh, you know want to learn more, it's free. Uh, it's, uh, at, uh, Miss Sager. I think it's Delta Hotel in Sager, but information is on, it's on our website. So we look forward to having everyone. Thank you. No, thank you so much, Lauren, for coming on and to be able to speak to uh, sickle cell anemia, as this is highly impactful. And uh, I will put all of those um, informations in the show notes so people can be able to access them, whether they uh, watch or they listen to this particular podcast. But again, I appreciate your time for coming on and speaking to this. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please make sure to like, follow, subscribe, and write a review for the episode wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you.